back to Man Bites Pod. It is I, Gene Von Banyard, the Cinema Baron, putting the sin back into cinema. And yes, we have a very interesting film and director to discuss today. But before I go deep into that, I would like to offer my uh, compadres a chance to introduce themselves. Take it away, gentlemen. Hello, everybody. Uh, you may know me as uh, the Reverend Terry Goddamn. And it is a pleasure and an honor to be here and serve with you gentlemen again while we go over this film. Absolutely. Glad to be with you, fellas. It is the Commander We once again reporting for duty and ready to uh, discuss degeneracy. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We are talking Lars von Trier and his... Hmm, controversial, of course. Film, The House That Jack Built. Now, before we start off with the director and this film of his, guys, fellas, what the hell do we know about Lars von Trier? How familiar are we? I'm not super, I'm not overly familiar with him. I honestly, I know I've seen, I've seen Antichrist and I know I've seen one other one, but I don't remember them that well. Um, he's out there, he's heavy. Um, but outside of that, I'm not, I'm not overly familiar. This is, this is also as, as we've discussed in other shows, uh, very recently we did, uh, uh, Carnival of Souls, the older noir style, black and white stuff is the stuff I'm very familiar with the 80s slasher stuff. I'm very familiar with, but the newer art house horror films i'm a little behind on so i'm not overly familiar with von trier okay very good very good thank you reverend where do you stand this is more of an introduction for me too i don't think i've seen much of anything that he's done you know um yeah so i i I was a virgin viewer okay excellent excellent um now, he is not known for being a horror director at all. Um, Art House, certainly. One even could consider exploitation to a degree. Uh, an exhausting director is what he's known as. Primarily, oh, people okay. describe him as exhausting. It's not a good time. He doesn't want you to have a fun, relaxing, cuddle up with the family when you're watching his films. No, 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 no. Be careful who you show these films to. Yeah, I'm not going to say trigger warning, but just be careful who you show these films to. And this one as well. This is his uh, self-confessed intentional horror film. The only one that is ever considered to be a horror film coming from himself and his uh, collection of works. <clears throat> now, just a little introduction. Lars von Trier, uh, Born 1956, he's Danish, he's also a screenwriter, he is prolific and controversial, and his career spans about four decades. Now, his work is known for its genre and technical innovation, confrontational examination of existential, social, and political issues, and his uh, treatment of subjects such as mercy, sacrifice, and mental health, yeah? Now, yeah. How I first came across him was a movie called The Idiots. I just uh, mentioned mental health, yeah? The Idiots is an examination of mental health and the acceptance of mental health in Danish society. 
Now, before I go into that, though, I need to frame it. This guy uh, is all about the form of cinema as well as the content, as well as the dialogue and the character development. It's all about how it's filmed and how it affects the viewer in that way. Yeah. Okay. So, so he, you, it's more it's please. more the bo- the bones, not just not just fluidity and and how it looks, but the bones of the whole thing as well. The the whole uh, thing is important. Not you yes. see what I'm saying? He's not trying to make this aesthetically pleasing on any level. It's just it has to be, the the art has to come across the way he wants it to. Um, whether or not that is easy for people to digest or not. Absolutely, absolutely. And an easier way to look at it as well, he wants you to be aware that you are watching a film every single scene, step of the way. In Hollywood, you have the invisible system where the mechanics of filmmaking are in the background. You don't see them. You get lost and immersed in the story. He's anti that. That's the main thing where he started off. Um, that was his main approach. That was his main intention and motivation. He is anti that. He may, he wants you to know that you are watching a film. A lot like Bertolt Brecht, the German uh, playwright, wanted you to know that you are watching a narrative, a construction of the bourgeois Now, this is Bertolt Brecht back in the 30s, yeah, where that was a major concern. He is, uh, Lars von Trier is highly influenced by Bertolt Brecht, and his films are indicative of that. He came up with a uh, film movement, uh, uh, a style and process of working called Dogma 95. Now, Dogma 95 was a, it's a filmmaking movement started in 1995, Lars von Trier being the spearhead, Thomas Vinterberg, who did Festival or Festen is another big uh, part of okay, that, yeah. component of that movement. Okay. Yep. There we go. Um, they created a manifesto, vows of chastity, they called it. Uh, oh. they, these were... Hmm. These were rules to create films based on the traditional value, values of story, acting, and theme, and excluding, <coughs> give me a sec, and excluding the use of elaborate special effects or technology. It was supposedly created as an attempt to take back the power for the directors as artists. He's also an auteur, like we discussed previous on previous episodes. He um, creates that authorial imprint on his films, absolutely. And they are art house as well because everything is, as the reference pointed out before, everything is considered, every scene, every shot, highly, deeply considered, yeah? Um, Now, I've got the rules here, just so you get an idea of how they approach each film at this time, because he alters it, but this is the basis of all of his films. This is, these are the beginning points. Number one, shooting must be done on location. Props and sets must not be brought in. If a particular prop is necessary for the story, a location must be chosen where this prop is to be found. No product placement, absolutely not. Number yeah. two, the sound must never be produced apart from the images or vice versa. Music must not be used unless it occurs where the scene is being shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the soundtrack is within the film itself. So if there's any music, it has to be played on a record player put on by a character. Like Just a natural a, setting. Yeah. This, a you natural never setting. walk into the music. 
an elevator or whatever room that you are or yeah. the bar. Fit, fit, I get, that's brilliant. And on, I'll be honest with you, uh, not to get ahead of you and not to cut you off, but um, you're starting to change my mind about this movie a little bit uh, in a good way. <laughs> However, that doesn't seem to work here because there is clearly plenty of music in this film that's used again and again and again that was absolutely put on in by by the production team and not by a character in the film. Ah, uh, but this is 1995. How are the house oh, that Jack built is 2018? This doesn't fit in with the Dogma 95 ethos. Uh this is the beginning of his philosophy of filmmaking. He has abandoned some of these, but the bare roots of it, the kernel of it, however you want to describe it, this is how he started, yeah? I, I understand. Uh, but, but, I apologize. But well pointed you. out. No, 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 all good. Well pointed out. Um, the camera must be handheld. Any movement or immobility attainable when the hand is permitted. Uh, the film must be in colour. Special lighting is not acceptable. If there is too little light for exposure, the scene must be cut or a single lamp be attached to the camera. Uh, optical work and filters are forbidden. The film must not contain superficial action, murders, weapons, etc. must not occur. So you see what I mean? That's certainly abandoned sure. when it comes to the house that Jack built. <laughs> Uh, ba, 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 ba. Temporal, time, and geographical alienation are forbidden. That is to say that the film takes place here and now. No flashbacks, no time travel, which too many movies do nowadays to make up for bad writing. Didn't happen back in <laughs> 1995 for Lars von Trier. Uh, genre movies are not acceptable. That's Hollywood stuff, yeah? Yeah. Mm. Doesn't no, no, this is cinema. These are individual stories not to be put into a canon of superheroes. The <laughs> film. <laughs> exactly. Back to episode one. <laughs> mm -hmm. The film format must be Academy 35 millimeter. So he's one of those dudes to this day, just like Quentin Tarantino, yeah? Heavy. Mm -hmm. I do appreciate uh, that. I, I think mm -hmm. I, I have a lot of respect for that. I don't frown upon people that don't do it, but. That takes a lot of effort, you know, like oh. that's if you're going to make the fucking artistic decision to do that way to go. And, and Tarantino and this guy have the mind to do that. Mm -hmm. But in 1995, he didn't. He was literally hiding under blankets to change film reels. So sunlight didn't uh, destroy the uh, the material. Yeah. And, right. and I've seen it happen. And it's uh, it's arduous, arduous. Now, the big one, the big one, number 10, the director must not be credited. Furthermore, I swear, this is a quote from himself back in 1995. Furthermore, I swear as a director to refrain from personal taste. I am no longer an artist. I swear to refrain from creating a work, a work in our dick fingers, quotation marks, as I regard the instant as more important than the whole. My supreme goal is to force the truth out of my characters and settings. I swear to do so by all the means available and at the cost of any good taste and any aesthetic considerations. Thus, I make my vow of, vow of chastity. That, so, this is the, so that's <clears throat> about filming the individual scene. Once you're, fil right? it, it, once you're filming the scene, you're not thinking about it. Now, obviously, you've 
got a script and you've planned a thing out and you're ready to go. But once you're filming that scene, you are not to stop or change because it's not driving towards the end result. You are supposed to stay within that scene. Yes, it's about immediacy. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, as, as a way to describe it. Um, so he is very much about writing. He's very much about characters, but he doesn't want you to feel for the characters and their plight through trickery, through Hollywood gimmickry. Handheld sounds there like you're a fly in the wall with these characters going through the same experiences. The Idiots in a Nutshell is a bunch of Danish, I think they were, if I remember rightly, they were made out to be theatre performers, maybe, or I may have that wrong, they may have just been a group that got together on the behest of a strong individual, a cult leader, if you will. And what they do, this is 1995, what they do is it's called spazzing out. They go into public and they act like the intellectually handicapped to the utmost level. They do the drama, dude. So you no say that again? Way. Like, I mean, I, that's I heavy. Know. Yeah, that's insane. It is insane, and it is ins- it is insane. And they take this to such a level of realism uh, that there's full penetration in this film. They actually get together and have a gang, an orgy in public. The fuck! Like, literally, the fuck! They were fucking and having an orgy. Yeah, that's pretty intense, man. I did not know that. This Welcome to Lars von Trier. <laughs> Welcome yeah, to Lars von Trier. This is beating up our American sensibilities. <laughs> exactly. Oh, he's big on that. He's big on that. I'm um, getting that. I'm getting that from this man. He clearly has disdain for Hollywood. But he also has a fascination with it as well. Uh, yeah, it's a love-hate relationship, definitely, because he loves to put in big stars, Hollywood stars, Nicole Kidman in Dogma, his most Bertolt Brecht film, and he makes sure they go through living hell. Each and every one of these big Hollywood stars is almost emotionally, psychologically destroyed by the end of his films, yeah? Right. Um, Dancer in the Dark, Bjork. She was in it. First feature film ever. This is Bjork, uh, the, you know, the singer, uh, Icelandic sure, sure. singer, for those that don't know. Um, she said at the end she would never work in film again because of what this man put her through. She is it's ta- she is going to be doing a new film with Rod- Roger Edgars, the director of The Vich and The Lighthouse, but it's taken her many, many years to oh, get the, yeah. over. Yeah. Those movies are incredible. Those movies, I'm sorry, you got Love. me. The Vavitch, oh, I fucking mm. love that fucking movie. Uh, that's my shit, man. <laughs> that's my <laughs> shit. Hey, the Lighthouse isn't fucking shabby either, man. Oh, no, dude, Willem Dafoe <laughs> fucking rules in that movie. Pretty goddamn good, man. <laughs> I, I kid you not, I thought about putting that for my last pick, doing The Lighthouse. I'm down um, with that. Can I say that William Dafoe in that film is kind of a fashion icon for myself? Clearly. Is that weird? Love no, it. Dude, that's not, he's dressed like the Reverend. You are not dressed like him. There you go. Thank you, sir. And, Thank you. and also just to shine a quick like on Robert Patterson. Uh, he's the other co-star in the film. And uh, since Twilight, my God, has he 
you know, transformed himself as an actor because he's also really, really good at it as well. Right. He shed the <laughs> glitter and the and the plastic fangs and he's doing heavy biz. Now, that kid's amazing. That kid is amazing. That kid is amazing. Um, the fact that he's Batman leaves me very excited, but that's a, we're getting off track. <laughs> we are digressing. Right. Okay. Now, that's 1995. We jump forward to 2018. Um, go back over it. If this episode interests you, go back. Lars von Trier's filmography, watch all his films, many different approaches within the same philosophical framework. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I could go on all day, but we won't. Now, the house that Jack built, 2018. Okay. I need to lay a little, uh, historical context for it as well. Now, Lars von Trier is a very naughty boy. Uh, but he's seen as a very naughty boy, but he is an incredibly neurotic, filled with fear and anxiety towards absolutely everything in life. These are we're paraphrasing from the man himself, yeah? The only thing that puts him at rest is filmmaking. Uh, we've, we know the type, yeah? We know the type. Of course. I know <clears throat> several gentlemen just like that. Yep, and there's famous people like that. Uh, See what it is, Tino. music, writing, film, any type of art form. And there's lots of artists that uh, are somewhat, I don't know, what, what, what's the word? Anxious, dude. Tormented? Yeah, Tormented. I think that's yeah. the word. The majority, yeah. the majority are. The majority are, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Irvine Welsh, Mr. Trainspotting, author as well. He stated he, I would be a serial killer if I didn't write books. Yeah, just um, not just, not to get too dark, but please. No, I mean stinky, stinky. For, even when you talk about people that aren't quite <clears throat> as talented, Stinky Turner, who is a singer of a band called the Cockney Rejects, um, pe- not only him but other people have stated if that man hadn't started singing for the Cockney Rejects, he would absolutely be in prison for murder right now. I mean, it's an outlet. It gets you something. It, it takes away that anxiety. That's why I, speaking for myself personally, probably for the Reverend as well, punk rock saved my life for that exact reason, because I wouldn't be here talking to you. I'd probably doing, be doing 10 bullets because I'm a fucking lunatic. <laughs> uh, all I'll say is scare acting. Uh, haunted attraction work is very cathartic. <laughs> Necessary catharsis. We're sure. on the same page. Man bites pot. Okay. The house that Jack built, 2018. Uh, he created, um, in 2011, Cannes Film Festival in France, the biggest well-to-do la Dida film festival in the world. Uh, he was there with Melancholia. Melancholia is his tribute to Tarkovsky, the 1960s Russian mm. director, who is the greatest art house director of all time. He created the damn thing. Um, that was his tribute to him. It is a beautiful film. If you don't want to see anything violent and crazy with Lars von Trier, that's the one to check out. Now, uh, he made a little joke about Nazis and Jews, did Mr. Von Trier, at a panel at Cannes talking about melancholia. As I said before, the man is very neurotic. Uh, he is very antisocial and he doesn't speak English very well at all. I've gone back and looked at it. He just got the joke wrong, not a comedian. But to say this at Cairns, even to attempt such a joke, yeah, even if you got it right, even if this is Dave Artel, Artel doing it, yeah, you don't say that sort of thing. They don't like that. Of In course. France? Fuck no. no I don't think so, man. 
them in Germany didn't get along at the time of that point in history. So the Hitler, the fucking Eiffel Tower almost doesn't exist because of these people, let alone the millions that died. And, and there you were go. Real- of course, of course. I'm not going to try and paraphrase the joke. If you want to hear it, go back and see. It's on YouTube, okay? Point being why I say that he was banned. You're never coming here and showing any films ever again in 2011. Now, 2018, 2016, basically, is when he um, declared that he was going to write this, uh, do this film. He, said, uh, he thought it was going to be a TV series at first, but in 2016 decided it was going to be a feature film. He wanted to take it back to Cairns. He approached them. They were like, hmm. Hmm. Look <laughs> <I'll> at- <laughs> <laughs> uh, they had a look at the film and they decided to put it in the, uh, how did they describe it? Out of comp- cans, out of competition. Cans Festival, out of competition. For the Americans, this is like having a play off Broadway rather than okay. on Broadway proper. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All I right. didn't. I was not aware. So cans has kind of a sub genre, or it's, it's genre, not genre, sub sub uh, category. Sub category. Thank you. Yeah, they got a minor league, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> This is for the stuff that doesn't quite fit in, but they want to show it because it's a worthy film. And Where every I will movie s- that Charlie Sheen ever did other than fucking Minor League went. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> that movie was called Major League, by the way. Uh, whatever. Fuck Charlie Sheen. I don't know the names of his movies. <laughs> yes. Good, Dude, the chase good. fucking rules. <laughs> anyway. Um, now, I also think they brought him back because they do love and hate him. And also he helps the publicity and marketing of the festival itself. Yeah. He is the beloved bad boy of Cannes Festival, whether they admit it or not. Yeah. Uh, that's just my theory, my opinion. But he came back with this film in 2018 just for the response. A hundred people walked out on the first screening, 100 before it was finished, but it also received like a 10 minute standing ovation at the end. This is how Lars von Trier is generally received throughout the globe. Very much a love or hate artist. Okay. It sounds like that's exactly what he wants as well. Absolutely. Oh, this, guy's, this guy's definitely working on a profile pic, man. Like he knows exactly what he wants to be perceived as. And that is why he does his films in a very specific way and like announced to everyone in what was it, 96, 93, that he's going to do these films this way until I change my mind and I do them a different way. Yeah. Be- beautiful, Reverend. Beautiful. That's, that, that's his evolution since Dogma 95 to uh, 2018's The House That Jack Built in a Nutshell, definitely. He does what he wants to make a point and just ruffle those feathers, definitely. Yeah, just, he, he wants everything polarised. Everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the audience, the spectator, the film fan can look at both sides and make up their own damn mind. Okay. Right. Now let's skip. Now let's talk about this film, The House That Jack Built. Oh, right. Uh, as I say, 2018, main star, Matt Dillon. Best performance of his life, in my opinion. I can't. I mean, he was in The Outsiders, dude. Like, he was in The Outsiders. <laughs> and wasn't he in Platoon, too? I think so. 
Oh, was he? No, wait a minute. He wasn't in Platoon, dude. No. No? No. He's in something okay. else. You know who was? Definitely in the Outsiders. In you know who was in Platoon, Reverend? Charlie Sheen. <laughs> that <laughs> asshole. See, that went to Cannes Minor League. <laughs> <laughs> For me, oh, personally, this... Sorry, I'm, to saying, I'm, a, I'm sorry. I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of Matt Dillon. That's all I'm saying. I like him as a person. I think he's a brilliant yeah. actor, and I have, I have some things to say about this movie, but they are, um, they are more toward the references he's making that bother me. Um, I think everyone in this movie was amazing, specifically Matt Dillon and uh, Sabin Fallon Hogan. I love the two of them so much i'm sorry please take it away i'm stealing that's right that's right no 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 i'm i'm throwing out too much uh taste tasty teasers and what not too many conversation drops uh for me best performance uh since drugstore cowboy it's subjective though okay Mm. Yeah. Okay. Let's start. Now, the plot. Jack, a prolific serial killer and failed architect in 1980s Washington, recounts five of his crimes over 12 years to Virgil, who he calls Verge. Now, Verge leads Jack through the nine circles of hell, very much Dante's hell. Each of Jack's crimes, depicted through flashback, feature commentary from both Jack and Verge. Very first shot is basically them about to descend into hell, the water dripping, yeah? Keeping mm-hmm. that in mind. Now, as I say, this is done through five incidents over 12 years, 12 disciples that will become clear as I go on. In the first incident, Jack encounters a woman on a rural road who needs to fix her broken Jack. And this woman is played none other by Uma Thurman. So again, he likes having his Hollywood stars in his films. And this is also a bit of a rite of passage for Hollywood stars to say, hey, I've got the guts and gumption to do something different, not only different, but work with this guy as well. As an actor, I get that definitely. Um, He takes it to the local blacksmith who repairs it, but when they return, the jack breaks again. The woman requests that jack return her to the blacksmith. Quite persistently does she (laughs) insist that he goes back. Uh, and insulting him the whole way through. Offended by her manner, Jack bludgeons her with the tire jack. And it, and this, this doesn't happen in the first two minutes either. She keeps just nagging him and poking at him and poking at him. Now, this yeah, is in the it, 70s. Yeah? It takes like a good 10 minutes, but that is the first thing of violence that you get. And it's just her na- nagging him on until he finally... She literally says, you could beat my face in with this jack right now and no one would ever fucking know. And then he fucking does it, which took 10 yeah. minutes. But it was good violence. died right at the beginning of this film. Yeah, I mean, but if you consider the fact that this film is two and a half hours long, basically that's in the first two minutes if you were to, if you were to condense it down. If you were to relatively, relatively, there you go, man. It works like okay. physics. Okay, yeah, right. I'll give you that. I'll give you that, gentlemen. I'll give you that. Okay, <clears throat> now 
in his red van, there's a red jack. Yeah, let's let's keep that in mind. Red shows up all the way through this film. He stores her body in an industrial free- freezer inside a factory building, which he purchased from a pizzeria. Okay. Um, anything else we want to say about the first incident there, fellas? Yeah. Or um, I can I just actually, go through to the end, or we can do incident by incident. Well, since, since you put it on the table, I will bite. Um, there's some okay so i watched this movie once and i was very unhappy i did i did go back and watch it a second time i went back and watched it a second time i watched it today as a matter of fact and i noticed something different about it and you filling in the holes of who lars von trier is because once again i'm a bit of a virgin to him as well so Filling in those things, it made even more sense. But when I watched it again today, I did notice something different. The way she talks and the the level of aggression and things that she says gets more and more outlandish. It is absolutely, I am, uh, there's no way you're going to convince me it's not all inside his head. What she's saying is more and more outlandish and wrong. And it's him getting to a boiling point, needing to fucking break that broad's face open and giving himself carte blanche or or not carte blanche, but giving himself the, the ticket to do it. And then think, and by the way, great, great fucking violence. That was phenomenal. That, that kill. He does violence. Well, certainly and very well spotted as well, because they are outlandish things. She says things. Well, this was a mistake. You could be a serial killer. Look at your van. It's a classic serial killer's van. You could just bludgeon me in the face with that jack. Matt Dillon also read the script and went, really? This is the writing? Isn't this a bit obvious? But then he went, oh, this is in my mind that I'm hearing all this. She's not saying this at all. She's just having polite whatever platitude conversation here. Um, He went to Lars von Trier and he said, your instincts are entirely right. That is correct. But von Trier filmed it in the way that she's speaking at all with Matt with Matt Dillon acting in a way that is going on in his head. So you have that tension, that juxtaposition, that unease, all very much cinema of unease. Yeah. And so, and so, and so Von Trier confirmed this. That is the, that's what he was shooting for. A hundred percent. Fucking a brilliant. That's brilliant. Uh, shall the I go reason with the that second van looks like a goddamn serial killer van, because that is a 1964 Dodge A100, which is actually featured in the film Cars by Disney. You know, the animated fucking cars and shit? Yeah, Pixar. Or it's brothers. It's one of the Rust brothers, right? That own the whole Rusty's fucking sponsorship. There's your fucking product placement right there. But it's brothers with my car that I got in my goddamn driveway with my fucking 1963 Dodge Dart. They're brothers. So as soon as I saw this van, I was like, holy shit. That's related to my car, but it's a serial killer van. And then they talk about how it's a serial killer van. I'm like, I guess I got some fucked up family too. So it makes sense. My fa- my fucking car would. I must admit, I fucking love that van. That thing's rad, dude. It really is, man. It's an awesome vehicle. <laughs> love it. Love it. All right. Moving on. Moving on. Second incident. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
Jack cons his way into the home of a of a widow, Claire, and strangles and then stabs her. Uh, now it takes a moment. It takes some serious convincing to make his way into the house. He pretends to be a cop, but he doesn't have his badge. He flips it. He's an insurance agent. We were testing you. He gets her with the money, though. I can double your pension. Mm-hmm. What older lady isn't going to feel that? Yeah. Uh, get rid of rationality, get rid of their logic and sense, and allow that to happen. Now, this lady, Claire, uh, the act, I'm not sure if the actress's name offhand, she was also it's, in Men. Uh, I mentioned her earlier. It's Sabin Fallon Hogan. Oh, that was her. Sorry, I was confusing her with Incident Three, lady. My apologies. Uh, she was very popular and beloved because of Men in Black at the time. Again, Von Trier taking beloved Hollywood stars and just messing them up. <laughs> okay, she, makes she's way a in. She's a brilliant actress. There, I'll go over them on another time. We've got a lot to get through, but she's a brilliant actress. She's worked with Matt Damon numerous, Matt Dillon numerous times. Uh, I think she's worked with Von Trier before as well. Um, she's she's a heavy. Cool, thank you for that there, Commander Wee. Uh, now, after cleaning up, this this is probably my favorite incident as well. After cleaning up, he puts her body in the back of his van. Uh, now, he's basically, he's trying to leave, yeah? He strangled her, put her in the, the wrap, the plastic wrap, got her in the back of the van, typical serial killer style. What's not typical or what we don't often see in movies uh, is that Jack is obsessive compulsive uh, with cleaning compulsions, yeah? And I'm talking seriously uh, perturbing, disturbing, um, debilitating compulsions here to the point that he gets in the van, he sees in his mind, you see it on the screen, underneath the seat, underneath the lamp, spots of blood that he has not cleaned up. He goes back in. He checks it all. Okay, sweet. Goes back. He does it again because he sees more behind the picture frame. Oh, I didn't check there. He goes back in. I think it's about three or four times he does it to the point where he can hear sirens coming behind him, police sirens. And then he sees more spots where blood could have been, and he goes back in when the police have arrived. This was just like screaming at the screen, what are you doing? <laughs> You've got in horror. Why are you doing that? This is a play on that almost, you know. What are you doing, you silly bastard? Why are you going back in? To the point that the policeman actually arrives and he's at the scene just down the road a little bit. There's been a robbery down the road. He spots the van. He sees Jack. He comes over to question him. They go into the house and he's saying, I want this room to be inspected and Impeccably with a magnifying glass. He's, he's played a ruse uh, to make the cop believe that he's allowed, he should be there, which is crazy. Uh, but Matt Dillon pulls it off through his performance. Okay. Now, the cop goes off. Uh, Jack puts the body back in the van and he drags her down the row. Sorry, my apologies. He actually ties her to the tow bar (laughs) and drags the body behind uh, the van on the road, leaving this gigantic blood trail. Cue music, David Bowie's fame. Uh, And then he basically gets 
clears body into the uh, freezer, and then he declares himself Mr. Sophistication and begins signing anomalous, anonymous letters to the media with his, this moniker, um, and where it also reveals his fetish for photographing his victims' corpses. Um, this, this seems to be the point where his OCD actually starts to fade. When the rain, when the rain comes, that, that's where it starts to go the way of what Ted Bundy said at one point is eventually you forget where you, if you're a mechanic, you forget where you left your wrench from time to time. You know, you kill enough people, you, you leave shit behind. You start forgetting about certain parts of cleanup and certain types of cover-up and things like that. It seems like that's the tipping point where he then goes into that realm. The OCD kind of fades because of the murder. And also because of the rain that falls from the sky and washes away the blood. He sees it as a sign from God at this time. Yeah. So we begin to get a bit of a, we're talking a narcissist, but we're also verging on a Messiah complex, a Christ-like complex within this individual at this point. For me, this is the first sign because, you know, the rain, the flood, washing away man's sins and filth from the earth. Okay. Sure. He's got a, he's got a superiority complex to be sure. We get Every- this like, behind the scenes look at like Dexter fucking trying to clean everything up and make everything perfect and stuff. And then afterwards it almost seems like, well, it doesn't even matter because I'm getting away with this shit anyways. Like I'm fucking chosen by God that this literal trail of evidence that I was worried about seconds before this got washed away anyway, so it doesn't fucking matter. I'm just going to keep doing what the fuck I want. Right, but what, also what I meant about the change in the OCD pattern is literally this same evening, he's losing his shit about an imaginary spot of blood six or seven times over, and now he's leaving behind him a literal visible trail of blood. And dragging an obvious body behind him, he no longer is concerned with any of it. Like he, it's not that he's not concerned. Maybe he's freaked out and just doesn't know what to do. And it's just paralyzed and keeps going. But that is where he turns the corner. And as, as, as our man, the Baron said, the rain convinces him there's nothing I can't do. Right. So he stops the worry. Yeah, it's the inception. It's the <clears throat> it's the inception. Yeah, of getting away. I don't know what serial killer you would use to parallel him to with the first incident with the van and the jack, but this is certainly him. His confidence is growing and transforming almost into a Ramirez character, if I will. Please, please, you know more. Ted Bundy's first kill, specifically okay. because it would be sloppy and nervous and and um, out of out of pure um just uh, what he what, what's the fucking word uh impulse maybe no maybe not bundy that's no um kemper okay okay cool reverend you know what i'm reverend i mean there are nods there I are nods like, to numerous serial killers in this movie but yeah there's a lot of nods to multiple different ones but i feel like what this director is going for is the obvious nod of that american psycho like this guy's trying to be so cool or whatever but then also he gets away with it 
the whole American psycho when he goes back to the apartment and there's no mm-hmm. the landlady's like, what are you talking about? No one lives here. He constantly gets away with it. So I definitely feel like this director had seen that and was like, wow, that's a good idea. He's obviously getting away with things as a sign from God. It's no more than that. You know, it's justifying a killer's predatory instincts to himself. And that's his self-realization that he is a killer. And that's why he fucking talks in front of the van for beautiful, you know, I was going to say, actually, if we have to put this on a specific serial killer, as I said, with the impulsiveness, with the meaningfulness behind it, and the, um, it's impulsive, but it's also very intentional. Um, Jack Unterweger, which is a, 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 he's an Austrian serial killer. I I would put, I would familiar with Jack Unterweger like a whole bunch because he's from over there. Well, and he spent time in the Cecil Hotel um, ah. over here in L.A. at the end, which Ramirez also did as well. Uh, but, yeah, Jack Unterweger very much fits the description of his first couple of kills other than the OCD. I will say that. Interesting. Um, to frame it all, Lars von Trier, LVT, s- s- uh, studied and researched serial killers intensively, exhausted, exhaustively uh, for this film as well. So they do frame the character development arc for Jack. Commander? I caught those. Um, I, I would like you to get a little further into the description. I'm sorry we keep uh, taking That's this right. over. But I have written down, uh, I, I'll, we'll get into it later, I've written down no less than four very obvious okay. nods two serial killers that come up later that I noticed. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. I was hoping that, and I, you know, I, of course that would be the case, you know, no one likes us true crime and know their shit. Check them out. Okay. Okay. Third incident. Now this is the one that cans did not like. This is the one that causes is the main cause of the controversy. And that is the third incident. Jack brings his girlfriend and her two sons, which he calls Grumpy and George, on a hunting trip. He kills both sons, and they are like nine and six years old, and they look nine and six years old. Uh, um, He kills both sons with a rifle before forcing the mother to have a picnic with their corpses. He ultimately kills her too, and he basically likens them to deer to animals hunting animals, whilst at the same time he is espousing hunting ethics as well, and even decrying against hunting as an inhumane and crass act. This is just how fucked up Jack is, basically. Um, as Jack recounts this incident, which he analogizes, analogizes to hunting animals, Verge comments with disgust for Jack's murdering of children. Yeah. So this Verge is Jack's uh, judge and jury as well. Keeping in mind, yes, Jack is doing this, but Verge is also commentating uh, that this is a disgusting act. Um, Gentlemen, please, the third act, the third incident, Um, sorry. um, Well, I mean, it's rough. It's very, it's hard to watch, but I have to comment something about Verge. Now, uh, you've already brought up Dante's Inferno. This is where I take my issue with this film. Um, okay. I do not like 
I do not like what he did with Dante's Inferno and that imagery. I don't like how on the nose it was. Um, and I don't care for, um, I don't, I, I, the end is where we're going to have to get into this, where I really pull back from this movie. Okay. Um, okay. But I'm with you. Yes. He's making Virgil the, 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 the judge and the jury and he's being judgmental in that story. Virgil is not that way. This is my favorite book. I should mention the divine comedy is my favorite book ever. I have a tat. I have a, the first seven circles of hell tattooed on my back from oh. the Gustav door, uh, yeah. wood engravings. Oh um, my goodness. So I'm here. <laughs> yeah. um, now I'm not, I, I, I get the conversation between him and Virgil bugs me a lot. I understand mm. it a lot better now and I'm less upset about it, but I'm not a fan of that bit. Um, and yes, I, I understand how killing the kids, obviously, and likening them to deer and, and, and saying that it's ethical because he hunted the middle one before the yes. younger one. And then later the mother, yeah. because the younger one would starve to death without the so on and so forth. I kept waiting for him as much of Nazi imagery was used in this. Mm. I was waiting for them to talk about eugenics because of the 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 deer and they did it so yes once again like you said this man's not trying to make me comfortable and he fucking did his job so i have to like i said you changed my mind about this movie on that level i'm not happy with it but i wasn't supposed to be so he i mean i got worked he's right he did his job with what his art was supposed to do so i can't fault him for that um but and another thing is I'm, I understand art. I understand plenty of things and I've delved into plenty of dark places, but I do have a problem with, now I don't have a problem with artwork on any level. I do not enjoy watching kids being hurt ever. If it, it, it on a primal level fucks with me. Um, I know that's what he was doing, but there you have it. Well stated, reverend. He's doing a lot here because not only does he have the deer story while he's explaining this to the mother as he's shooting them and shooting them, you know, explain to Verge as he's shooting these kids and the mother eventually has to do this picnic. But the overall theme is not eugenics, but fucking genocide because he's talking about calling the field and he goes in there and calling a field is getting rid of the animals that you don't want in the environment and so not only does he kill the children he puts the fucking birds all around him and stuff too it it, i think there is some stuff lost in translation to my american brain but yeah i think the extermination stuff is just as big of a part part of it is that like you're offended because these children are being shot which is offensive super offensive but also, you're not offended by the culling and taking over of an entire species, which is kind of close to home to a director that got in trouble for saying fucked up shit like that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I cans in 2011 with his Nazi Jew joke as well. <laughs> then throw in this scene, analogizing to the ethnic cleansing, the culling by the Nazis as well. And 
to present it in Jack's mind as murder art, because this is where we begin to see Jack is a engineer wannabe artist trying to create the house that Jack built as well, taking photographs of his victims in various poses, being unsatisfied, having to take them back to the scene of the crime to shoot them again as well. This is where we begin to see the idea in Jack's mind, he considers himself an artist through these incidents, through these killings. So there's a whole lot of trolling, for want of a better word, for the audience as well, and for the film industry at large. Oh, for yeah. sure. There's definitely some yeah. trolling in this film. Yeah. <laughs> He's Absolutely. a naughty, naughty boy. Yeah. Okay, moving. Thank you. That was great there, gentlemen. Because uh, that's that's the big, that's the troublesome part of the movie, certainly. Fourth incident, or the most troubling anyway. Fourth incident, Jack is in a dysfunctional relationship with Jacqueline, who he calls Simple. Now, this is played by Riley, is it Keogh? Oh, I didn't look that up. I apologize. I'm not sure. Riley Keo or Keog? It's Elvis's granddaughter. Is that right? Oh, really? Mm-hmm. This is Priscilla's kid, not Priscilla. Mm-hmm. Um, Lisa Marie. Lisa Marie's yeah, kid. Yeah. Come on, yeah, man. That's yeah. American royalty right there. You got to know that. <laughs> I don't give one Again. mad fuck about Elvis. <laughs> but American entertainment royalty being effed with hard in his film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, I when like he that. drunk, thank you. When he drunkenly confesses to her that he has killed sixty people, um, I actually, uh, before I say that, um, yeah, I will get into the serial killers later, the parallels as well. But he's become a lot more confident in this. He's pretending to be drunk. He's coming in with a crutch to make himself seem less dangerous. But he is a complete asshole to her. He calls her simple, Commander. That's all, Ted Bundy. That entire scene is Ted Bundy, with the exception, I'm sorry, I'm going to get ahead of you. I'm going to steal this bit from you. Please, please do. He cuts off her tits at the end of it. Yeah. That is Ed Gein, especially the fact that he walks around with a wallet made out of one of her tits. That is all Ed Gein, all of it. Um, Absolutely. Now, but is oh, also, when, no, I'm sorry. One more, yeah, one more. Cutting, gotta, of the breasts, gotta, cutting of the breasts, Jack the Ripper. That's Jack the Ripper. Yes, it is as well. And I believe as well, uh, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. When he goes out, she tries to run away. Yeah, he lets her run away. I like hunting again, uh, hunting sport. Uh, yeah, cop goes, she goes up to the cop. Oh, this man, he's killed 60 people. And he mentioned 61, but she hasn't quite clicked on who's going to be number 61. And the uh, cop goes, have you been drinking, ma'am? Yes. Well, then get away from me. Then he comes out to do, Jack comes out to do his whole routine. We're having a dysfunctional relationship, but I love her. I love her. Commander, please take it away. That is a direct reference to Conorak's Synthesophone, which was the young fellow that the police returned to Jeffrey Dahmer back in Chicago. It's a direct and absolute reference towards that. Um, Side note, because I'm not a big fan of the police. I'm a commander, not a policeman. (laughs) That cop retired with honors only a couple years ago. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, the... uh, 
I did not know that this was Elvis's granddaughter, but now I see why he would choose her to be represented in this thing that is very much a Ted Bundy story until it gets to the Dahmer part where this is America's brunette sweetheart that is getting fucking murdered in a violent way. And he is still rubbing it into the face of the cops and able to lie himself out of it. So yeah, the Ted Bundy reference is very blatant and in your face, rightfully so. And yeah, didn't know that was Elvis's granddaughter. It makes it a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. It does say it does. Um, and also just to, uh, tie things together as well. Third incident, red hats. Fourth incident, red telephone, red marker, uh, marking out where he's going to cut the breasts off as well. Red is going is continuing to go through. Uh, anything else on incident four? Um, the, um, the admission, when he's admitting to the cop flat out, yes, I did all these things. It's, it's still a further, it's still a further uh, uh, incarnation of Bundy and a number of other series and, and, and uh, Ed Kemper, people that hid in plain sight. Ed Kemper used to drink in a bar with cops every day and talk about his murders with them. Um, Ted Bundy and Jeff Dahmer went, Oh no, I'm just fucked up or no, my foot hurts or no, I got this cast and played the prey while they were actually the predator. He does this constantly throughout the movie. Um, And, and yeah, that's that, this specific incident has more references to high profile serial killers than any other. There are more to come. We'll get to them eventually. Okay. Okay. Um, (laughs) Oh, shush, shush. I had something. I had something as well. Uh, yes, he also says, um, Verge questions the, uh, the. I think it's up to, uh, by the third incident as well. These women seem stupid. These women seem unnaturally dim-witted, yeah? They've let you into the house. They've jumped in the uh, van with you. Um, the, you were able to convince this family that you were a good guy. Um, and you haven't been caught either. You're able to, and you see him doing little Scooby-Doo routines with rigor mortis uh, corpses in his apartment building whilst people are in the windows. He's running past them and stuff, hiding in plain sight, pretending uh, being something that you are not, but also hiding in plain sight is, is, is basically a serial killer trope as well. Sure. Just to dovetail on what you were saying. You, you know what? Let me go back very slightly. Uh, this dawned on me just right now. Back when he first pretended to be a cop to get into that woman's house, um, Saban Fallon Hogan is trying to get into her house, the widow. He's pretending mm-hmm. to be a cop. That is something Bundy did numerous times. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and I mean, I'm certainly not meaning to say like um, the women who were victims in the past were stupid or unintelligent. I'm just saying this is the level of narcissism and manipulation that Jack and all his references that created Jack through Lars von Trier's mind were capable of. Is that fair sure. to say? Oh, no, of course. No, it's his God complex. It's the character's God complex. Yes, all, all yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Fifth incident. Okay. Whew, this is heavy. 
uh, well, detailed anyway. Jack has detained six men in his freezer. He's got them all on a bar, on a pole, lined up head by head, freezing to the pole itself. Okay, now he's intending to kill all of them with a single bullet a full metal jacket bullet. But there is a military man. Please, please, sir, sir. Just trying to, you know, get some another 20 minutes of life. Uh, that is the proper, uh, that is the incorrect ammunition, sir. That is not a full metal bullet. Upon realising his ammunition has been mislabeled, Jack leaves and chastises the gun shop owner uh, to get the right bullet. The, um, but the owner, for some reason after 20 years, we can discuss that, says, no, you need a receipt. I'm not letting you do that. Calls up the cops. Maybe word spreading around the town. I don't know. Maybe it's just propelling the story forward. Movie, uh, the story forward. Can, okay, can Jack I goes, comment on that? I, I honestly think, uh, once again, having watched it for a second time, the first time, I went, why the fuck did he do this? Like, all of a sudden, we're just thrown into this panic state. And then I realized the second time I watched it, that's exactly what it was supposed to be. I believe that, he is now, he is so frantic and so angry and upset and so, okay. so filled with superiority and godlike anger that he doesn't see the forest for the trees anymore. Once he was this, this crippled due to uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, almost prey level. He almost got caught several times because of it. Now he is on such a level of God complex that he doesn't even see that this man he's been buying ammunition and guns and God knows what else from for 20 years is visibly shaken and asking him for his fucking ID after 20 years. And he doesn't know that when he leaves, that man's going to call the fucking cops because he doesn't even it doesn't even enter his mind that that would happen because how dare he defy me. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's fantastic. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, absolutely. Um, okay, if I may, uh, he goes off to see his hunter friend in his caravan out of town who he calls SP. SP was a childhood creation of Lars von Trier, his animated short film when he is 11 years old. Almost an imaginary friend of Lars von Trier as a child is SP the character. Just, just to throw that in there. Interesting. Yeah, does he show up in his other films and stuff too? Uh, maybe in his first, one of his first films, Europa. No, no, he doesn't. Sorry. It's only in his animated film. And I don't even think that's uh, because it's when he was 11, the guy's 64 years old now. But SP Damn. is his imaginary childhood friend. Interesting. It yeah, is. The guy's, yeah. Vontrius, yeah, his mind. Okay. So SP basically is a hunting chap. Uh, he's a hunter. Um, and, he, and this is demonstrated through his skill uh, to pick up the gun and point it at Jack really quickly. You're not going to get away with me, away from me, even if you tried. And he puts the gun down as well because Jack has known him for 20 years, living in the area, and has never, ever lied to him. Okay, moving on. Uh, ba -ba 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 -ba. SP phones a police officer, sits down, they have a last conversation, pours in the whiskey. Um, and then it just ends up that Jack stabs SP through the throat. Uh, he waits for the police, then kills the officer. He returns to his freezer. Uh, with one of SP's full metal jacket bullets. That's why he went there, because he knows SP's a hunter. He would have this type of ammunition. Okay. 
but, but, but now he has set up his uh, sniper rifle. I'm not a gun expert because what he is trying to do here is kill about six or seven people with one bullet, just like the Nazis did in mass extermination, trying to be efficient. Yeah, again, mm-hmm. another parallel to the Nazis there. Uh, but, 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 but now this it's okay. It's uh, not enough room though. He can't focus like he did uh, with the an incident three on his prey because he's not back far enough. Because he, ex- yeah, he explains how guns work as well in that incident. So it makes sense here. He's got to open the mysterious door that he's never been able to open uh, in the freezer with the red frame around the window. Yeah. Okay, oh, he manages to open it up, sets it up, perfect, but then he has Jack, uh, not in his head, well, so to speak, <laughs> Verge is sitting behind him, yeah? Okay, um, da, 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 da. He, inside he meets Verge, who reveals he has been observing Jack throughout his life and reminds him that he has never that he never built the home he intended to, as Jack made several attempts to build his perfect house between his murders. But the material, the material never worked well for him. The material is his victims, the flesh, blood, and life of his victims itself. Because as well, uh, Jack appreciates Albert Speer, he appre- uh, the architect for Hitler, yeah? Uh, he appreciates art to the level where through the beauty of decay and destruction and death, you create icons. He calls the little tit purse from simple an icon as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so if this makes sense, he all their bodies in the freezer I assume he shoots uh, (laughs) the six or seven uh, gentlemen. We don't actually see that. But he he creates a house made out of corpses. He has created his own uh, artwork. He has become the great architect, the godlike architect to create icons through the beauty of death and decay. Does that make sense? Of course. Absolutely. Can I, I, something else dawned on me. Since we've started this episode and you've explained, this is going to happen a few times, since you've explained Lars von Trier and his love, deep love and deep hate of, of Hollywood that, that co-mingle all at the same time, the thing about him not shooting, not, not showing those men being shot, I honestly don't think he shot them. I think he walked. And he's holding the gun and just walks. So... I think that the reason for that is to not give us the satisfaction of seeing, because that's the heavy, that would have been the most spectacular kill in the entire film. And he walks from it and doesn't fucking show it. Yeah, that's right. You are right. Because the police actually arrive because he runs off from SP's house in a police car with the siren blaring and leaves it blaring as he goes into the freezer. Right. And as you were saying, he does not give a fuck. He is Johnny the ho- Johnny the homicidal maniac at his most craziest at this point. I am a god. I cannot be touched. I will never be punished. I was not punished for cutting the little duck's leg off when I was a child. I am not going to be caught and punished now. Um Reverend, what did you think up at this point uh, where he created the House of Corpses? I like the House of Corpses. 
at this point, this film makes a big jump, though, because it's basically like no longer like a real film. And now it's you start getting all these drops of, you know, divine comedy. And I don't want to be that smart in a serial killer film. Okay. I hear I'm just going to admit it, man. Like, I don't, I don't really need to overthink it. So by this, at this point in the film, I was like, I would have been really happy if they would have all just exploded. And that was the end of the film. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. That is a good point because uh, he really, once they, I think it's, yes, before this point, uh, they, they, certain scenes from other Lars von Trier films are played. Did you guys spot that? These other movies appeared. These yes. other, where he's talking himself. Those are other von Trier films. Go. I didn't Go spot that, but I, I, in the little, because this was your, this was your week. So I didn't OD on it. I wanted to learn about this from you, but I looked a few things up and found that. Um, yeah. The other stuff I already knew, like the, the collages of artwork. I'm like, these are very well-known pieces of art. Yeah. And this, yeah. that was the stuff that took me out of the movie. But then you explained that was the whole fucking purpose. I did not like that. That part of it really bothered me. The, okay. the, the collage and, um, and using Vivaldi, like the most run of the mill song ever mm -hmm. by Vivaldi mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. over and over. Every time he shows these, these, these things that, that you could find out of any swap meet anywhere in the world, a print of mm -hmm. those artworks. I'm like, there's nothing special about this. This is bizarre. But I see now there's some amount of purpose to it. Yes. This movie made me angry on the same level it did Terry. I respect it more now. I probably won't go back and watch it. <laughs> oh, fair, fair, fair. Absolutely. Um, before we descend into hell, though, uh, I said that um, Von Trier, was, when he's talking about art um, as murder as well, or um, who am I to make these uh, type of arts to do these type of kills? It's an actual questioning. Jack is actually questioning himself. The narcissism and the, and the God complex softened a little bit because he's about to be dragged down to hell. So he's going, what the hell? Not used to this business. Wasn't expecting this. Um, Lars von Trier, Jack, Christ even, same character, what's the word? Confabulation, I think, the Freudian term. All three are part of the same psychology that is being examined. All three characters. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I feel like this is a very um this is a very meta not being familiar with Lars von Trier, I feel this is a very meta work and probably yeah. not the first thing terror uh, the the that the Reverend and I should have watched. <laughs> by this fella <laughs> watch the idiots I think for you guys is that the one and with then, the orgy because we should have totally watched yes. the one <laughs> you know, like, I'm just gonna say whatever I fucking uh, ultimately rate this film at it would have gotten like at least two more points if there was an orgy in it <laughs> fair enough fair enough we like what we like alright okay Almost there. This is the epilogue, uh, cabasis, I think it's called. I forgot to look up the meaning of that word. Apologies. Let us know if you know. Okay, but it is the epilogue where he is about to descend into hell with Verge, just like we started at the beginning in the water, the two voices. 
Uh, it goes between very stylized cinematic shots, shots of descent to being basically going through a muddy cave in dirty water to try and get through. Yeah. So again, what's in Jack's mind and what the actual killer Jack, a human being is, you know, it's different mm-hmm. levels of interpretation and representation going on as well. All right. Now they go down the nine circles of hell. I think it's visually stunning. This, and here you actually see that Lars von Trier goes, yeah, I can make a blockbuster film if I want to. I can do all these wonderful special effects, um, but I'm not going to do it in the in the way or why you want me to, though. This is a little bit of a middle finger to the industry as well. I prefer to make films my own way, but I'm going to show you I can do this easily, easy game. So, so Lars, Lars von Trier, would you say it's fair to say, I, I assume you're familiar with what I'm talking about. Are you saying he's the cool Keith of film? <laughs> That's not bad. I had never considered such a comparison. That's not bad, though. I'll think cool on it Keith, and get cool, back to you. Cool Keith is all middle fingers. He's a fucking lunatic. At the end of the day, it only makes sense to him if it makes sense at all. And he's a fucking genius. And he's I'll prolific as fuck. So <laughs> I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Uh, okay. Um, now you mentioned the paintings before. Yes, they are the director, the Le Medusa by the Giraud and all that. They are, de- they are basically reconstructions of those paintings in cinematic form. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Again, iconic, I, um, destroying icons, be they Hollywood actors, great pieces of uh, art throughout history. Um, okay. He's going down the circles of hell. He sees the Elysium fields. The Elysium fields are is where they're cutting the grass um, mm-hmm. with the sides as well. Um, that is heaven. That is an escape for Jack uh, from his, uh, his moments of reprieve as a child that he will never, ever feel again. It is the one moment that you are allowed empathy for Jack. Yeah. And he has that single tear. Yes. The one moment you are allowed empathy for Jack. Okay. Um, now they're basically moving forward. They get uh, to the end. They get down to the bottom level of hell or the center of hell. Ryan, uh, sorry, Commander can explain it better. Now, Okay. So actually I do have something to say about this. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know. This is just... From what the movie gives me and what I know about this book, specifically the Inferno, obviously this is just the Inferno, they get all the way to the bottom. We're there, right? I didn't get ahead of you. Yeah, yeah, we're there pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they get to the bottom. That's the ninth circle of the hell. The ninth circle of hell is reserved for those guilty of treachery. Then yes. there's the center of that circle. The center of that circle is reserved for those that are guilty of treacherous acts against God, violence against God. Hubris, Um, if you will, yeah? Right. Well done. So what Virgil says actually did get me. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Where is he going then? He said, well, you're not supposed to be here. You you basically told me a good story. And Mm. so I humored you when you said, I want to know everything. So I took you all the way to the bottom. But you're not supposed to be down here. You're supposed to be a few circles up. And that got me wondering, where is he supposed to be? I can only imagine he's supposed to be somewhere near Wrath, but I'm really not 100% sure where Jack is supposed to fall. 
Um, but then I, I, I apologize if I'm getting ahead of you. You're he right. falls directly down the center, which would lead me to believe he goes to what is in the book considered the very worst part of hell, yeah. where yeah. Satan is in the book. Satan is chewing on three specific sinners and punishing very specific sinners. And if Jack falls in the cinematography, we see him fall directly to the middle of that. That leads me to believe he's going to the middle of the lowest circle of hell, which would be the worst place you could possibly be. I will say one thing I have a great issue with. That is shown as being this fiery, billowy magma below. The ninth circle of hell in Dante's Inferno is absolutely iced over Antarctic terrain. Oh. And I have a problem with that. I don't know why he decided to do that. Maybe it's just aesthetically pleasing. But Hmm. you're saying he doesn't do that. If it's easier on the mind or easier on the eye, He's going to do the other thing, but maybe he did it just to fuck with me and people like me that have read the book. I'm Mm. not sure. Do you think it was an in-game thing that he knew that, like, I mean, that is pretty common knowledge. That is a fucking Jeopardy question. Where's the night, you know, last level of hell is obviously iced over and fucking Satan's sitting there. Do you think he purposely did that just to fuck with you, Ryan, and the people that have (laughs) read it or that's what i'm saying did he just be like oh no fuck it i'm gonna like do hell the way everyone thinks that hell is i feel like this is a man i don't want to insult him because i actually have a little more a great much more appreciation for this man than i did 10 hours ago but i do think that it is entirely possible this guy is just playing the heel on every level possible on some, I am, that's why I'm showing a collage of artwork. Everyone fucking knows. And then I'm referencing a book that everyone knows, at least to a certain extent. Yeah. At at least a wheel of fortune extent, if not a jeopardy extent. Or a heavy metal extent. Yeah. And then I'm going to flip it on its ear and change it just to confound those motherfuckers that actually know all of these things front to back. It wouldn't surprise me at this point. And I got to be honest, it's a dick move, but it's a brilliant heel move. Very well pointed out. I will admit my own ignorance. I did not realize that. I've never read the book. I didn't realize that with ice in the very center. Uh, So I didn't realize that. Just to backtrack a little bit, um, he is to be taken to, as said by Verge, he is to be taken to the seventh center, which is dedicated, if Lars has it right, to those who commit violence against others. He did did say the seventh. The seventh circle. He does say the seventh. I'm to take you two levels up. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, and I, oh I, I missed yeah. that then. Okay, that's all good. Um, but I want you to take you to the ninth because, yeah, you gave me a good story. Now, he does fall down to, uh, there was one final act of hubris. He tries to climb around to get to the way out across the bridge, which leads out of hell. Yeah, um, Jack. Yeah. So there's that one final act of hubris um, falling to the center uh, to um, 
to be uh, to treachery, hubris against God, to be punished by Lucifer or the devil himself. Yeah, didn't realize it was ice. But there is one last thing to point out as the dark light. It goes to negative, um, and he's talked about how he prefers to see. Uh, to shoot in negative his victims because you see within. Yeah, you don't see what is presented on the surface. You see what is shown within. Uh, however you want to interpret that, maybe idea interpretation of hell within the mind, hell within a bit in a literary source, hell within the pub, the popular conception of it. Maybe visually he was either trolling or visually it just worked better to show that dark light falling into lava. Just mm -hmm. an idea. Yeah. Sure. I, I, yeah. Um, another thing that's now I'm thinking about this. Actually, it goes along with what you're on about the, the, the flip to the negative, with him playing the heel and flipping art on its ear. Clearly that's mm -hmm. what he's on about the whole movie. It's just art in general. He's talking about his yeah. own art and his yeah, own life, yes. his own anxiety, his own yes. compulsions and disorders. 100%. The fact that as soon as the credits start, a Ray Charles song plays, <laughs> Hit the Road Jack, which is A, that's fucking cheesy as balls. And he knows that. <laughs> Oh, yeah. all, it's not the Ray Charles version. It's the fucking David Johansson version. That's the motherfucker that sang Hot, Hot, Hot. Jesus I mean, God. that's sacrilegious. That's <laughs> out of line, man. He's shitting on America doing that. And I know that he is. I know that he is. I'm, I... Forgive me for taking pleasure, but I didn't realize that. And that's, that's just funny. <laughs> that is just funny. <laughs> Uh, it is, and I get it. I now get it. He's a heel. He, yeah, Lars, totally. The fucking anxious heel. That's what he yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred thousand percent. Now, gentlemen, with this, I mean, like, thank you for bearing with me. It was just a lot to explain and to frame properly so you know where the director as well as the main character is coming from in yeah. this hell of a film. I've got a whole bunch of trivia and viewing notes that I could go on about, but we've been going for a while. I'm we cool with just that. I'll yep, tell you what, please. I have, I, I'm sorry to cut you off. I actually, can I ask you some pointed questions? Okay, go. Because Please. I have changed my view on this movie. It's still, I won't watch it again, but I, I get it. It makes more sense to me. I am curious about some specific things. Um, oh, no, uh, real quick. He mentions, he name checks and puts out a picture of Kuklinski, Richard Kuklinski, mm -hmm. the Iceman. Um mm -hmm. The fact that the bodies were in the freezer, that's a reference mm -hmm. towards Kuklinski as well. Um, 100%. Also, what he said annoys me too. He said that Richard Kuklinski took the last breath of every victim he ever had. That is 100% bullshit. That's not even an American urban legend. He made that up. We, the, oh. that's, not even, that's not even urban legend in mafia mm. circles. That's 100% he made that shit up. It's bullshit. Okay, um, fair. That that's a strike against. I'll give you that definitely. Let me. I think he did it on. I think it's a heel move. I think it's a heel okay. move against America. Um, because we glorify <laughs> gangsters. No, we Brian here. We glorify gangsters in this country. Um, I'm guilty of it myself. Uh, yes. So, yeah, that's why. That's why David Bowie's fame is used throughout this film. 
Sure. So yeah. I want to ask you specifically about Glenn Gould. Why was Ooh. he so prevalent in this? I know he was mentally ill. I know he was a brilliant composer and piano player. Why was he? He never explains. There's there's no pointed explanation for why Glenn Gould is even involved. Yet they wax philosophical and poetic over this motherfucker playing piano for a solid 15 fucking minutes. Uh, I also, what I, this dude's a lunatic. I don't expect an answer. I'm just Okay. The best that I can say, rather than just pouring over my notes here, the best that I can say, my interpretation of that, based on your interpretation as well there, Commander, Verge does say, and who is this ridiculous? ridiculous looking man you know who's this you know this ridiculous looking individual playing the guitar the guitar the piano and, and he says this is glenn gould one of the greatest piano players to have ever lived uh lars von trier yes i am a ridiculous looking man yes you may ostracize and outcast me but look at what i'm creating just a just an idea okay mm. it's okay this is a this is a pass but once again, I feel this is a, uh, I, there's a word for this. And I apologize. I can't remember what it is. There is a word, maybe it's a, it's a term in French. I can't remember, but for he is parodying his own, his own mental process and his own work in this movie. Absolutely. Um, that, that's for sure. I don't remember what the term is for that. So all the film nerds can fucking leave me alone on this, but um that must be what Glenn Gould is. He's putting him, and and that is near the center of the movie. Time wise, it is. It is. It is. That would put him parodying himself in the center of the film, which makes this squarely a movie about himself. And if you look at his filmography, the timeline of his filmography. Oh, I'm echoing. Am I right? Okay. Um, put that in his filmography. You've got Glenn Gould in the center of his film. This is a commentary on his entire filmography. This film, he made the idiots around this time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if you want to point at the, uh, the two timelines for the film and his filmography, Glenn Gould is a ridiculous looking man who made beautiful art. The idiots, a ridiculous uh, film, but saying profound things playing profound music. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. No, it makes perfect sense. Just, just, just theorizing there. But good point, good point. Um, but as I say, I've got a lot of notes, a lot of trivia, a lot of theory behind it, but we've been going for a while. Thank you for bearing with me. Um, how about we get into our gimmicks and we'll just let our listeners um, just, if you are interested, if, we've, if I've piqued your interest here, go back, start at the idiots or even before, and discover for yourselves because this dude's open to interpretation. His work is very subjective. I, I will say the acting in this movie is absolutely fucking terrific. It's amazing. Everyone's great. Um, Matt Dillon was very 
wary, was very cautious. He was like, what am I doing, doing this role? Am I even capable of pulling this off? Lars von Trier guided him through step by step. They became really good friends. Matt Dillon thinks highly of Lars von Trier. So just to cast another light, as opposed to what Bjork says about him, Matt Dillon says he's a really good dude. Maybe he's mellowed in his age. Yeah. Dancer in the Dark was a while ago. But just to just to give Lars von Trier, just give Lars von Trier a chance. That's that is all the Baron is saying. Yeah. I will I will do nice. that. You've convinced me. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Now let's gimmick gimmick it up there, fellas. Let's gimmick Go it on. up. All right, bit of violence. I'll start off. Okay. The, the, these incidents are violent, especially number three, yeah? But it's more about the aftermath of these violent acts that is presented and is to be considered more so definitely. Incident three, Grumpy, yeah? We remember Grumpy. Yeah. And he takes him back to the freezer and decides to make him less grumpy and gives him a joker's smile through taxidermy. It's not necessarily, it's on a corpse, but it is a, a violent assault on the senses, <laughs> just watching it on the screen and being played out. And then he, and then Grumpy's waving at him and he waves back. What more can I say? That's violent on many, many levels. Come on. Yeah, that's that's heavy. Um, 100% my, and I'm going to get phone I'm going to get a phone call from my fucking therapist over this one. Probably a parole <laughs> officer too. This the first murder with the okay. jack is absolutely my favorite piece of violence in this entire fucking movie. It's absolutely my favorite. I like that it, it it's it is a brutal it's B primitive and C it's revisited minutes later from a different angle and then repeat it. Um, the level of, of just primitive violence in that is great. The act itself, if I was going to be more artful about it, yes, there are other things I could mention, but that is 100% my favorite. Also that broad's fucking annoying. Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman was amazing. Also, if I may quickly, Nymphomaniac, she plays a small role in part one or two. One of the best performances I've ever seen by her. Yeah, well, stunning. I, I have smoked with Uma Thurman because she, fu- I don't know if you remember, that most recent Les Miserables that got put out, um, Russell uh-huh. Crowe was garbage in it, but everyone else yeah. did a great job. Um, but the one in the mid-90s, where there was no music, it was just all spoken, and she played. Oh yeah, it's so fucking bad. It's offensive, it's, it's and it's... I still, I still have smoke with Uma Thurman over that. My my wife probably will if she can hear that. She might be sleeping, but if she hears me talking about, it, she'll burst in the room and be like, "Fuck that, bro!" <laughs> like she's way out of line. Um, so. Watching her get, and she's not a bad actress. I like her. She was great in Pulp Fiction. She was great in Be Cool. She honestly, she was great as Poison Ivy in that really bad Batman movie. But sure. <laughs> no real smoke with her overall. But I enjoyed seeing her get a fucking forehead caved in. That was fucking great. Yeah, Uma Thurman can live unless 
you know, she asked to get hit in the face with a car jack and gets murdered by the goddamn thing. And that is the best piece of violence in this film. It really is. And someone like me in my genre opinion, um, I'm, I'm a Friday the 13th fan. Yeah, it needed to start like that. For me to even get, if not, I would have had to shut this thing down at like fucking... 45 okay. minutes when he goes into his 15 minute rant in front of the van, which is a really cool van, but man, it, it's done really well. And he's a good actor, but he just goes on. Um, the, in front of the van I, I with the sun, the, the film explained to me that much. I, I, I hate that. Here for the violence. Shit. I hate that yeah, you, Bob Dylan gimmick so you much. You know the reference with the cards, the music video? John is in the hand, 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 hand. Yeah, yeah. I hate it. I hate it so much. And once again, I'm starting to think that's a dig at American folklore. Yeah. Oh, because that's, Bob, that's iconic. I like iconic. Please, I don't please. like Bob Dylan, but that's an iconic thing. That's an American iconic thing. And that is, it, it's institutional at this point. And that guy is an American folk hero to most. Not me, but a lot of people in this country. And he's just taking the piss out of the whole thing. Absolutely. Again, destroying your icons. He is destroying I, your icons. Yeah. Now that I view it that way, I kind of dig it. See? Yeah, I do like the destroying of the icons. I mean, because he does do it with fucking David Bowie, too. So I'm not going to take it personally. There you go. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I feel like... Yeah, he... He does it in this way that I'm like, I get that you're trying to piss me off, but you're also explaining it to me way too much. And now I'm just kind of like annoyed and going to walk away because it's it's gone on too long, man. This just motherfucker. Let me fuck you. I like the fuck you in your face, Jack to the face. This motherfucker is legitimately trying to sicken you physically, not just with oh, I shot a bunch of kids and hunted their fucking mother and then made them sit and drink lemonade with the fucking dead, their, their dead kids. He does this thing with the, with the fame song playing where he spins in a circle for like 30 seconds straight. And if you sit there and watch that screen and don't turn your eyes away, try to be a fucking man about it, a real American, you're going to get sick straight up and down. It's, it's brutal. And he, I knew, I, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, I know what you're fucking up to, pal. <laughs> if I may, just before we get into the next gimmick, just to finish off on the destroying of icons, uh, what does he call him? The rat. He calls Trump the Rat King. Yeah. There's the director's cut, which has a minute more footage, which was shown once in America and was available on YouTube for six hours. That was a bit of a mistake. Um, <laughs> look it up. Um, uh, yeah, he calls Donald Trump the Rat King, and it is hypothes hypothesized, theorized that in Incident Three, the family wearing the red hats is mm -hmm. purposeful. Yeah, hundred oh, percent. So, no, so Bob Dylan, Uma Thurman to Donald Trump, no American icon is safe. I know he's not your guy's icon, but he is iconic in America. Yeah. Honestly, I love him for doing that. Like, I, I mean, he's a foreigner taking down American culture, but I love taking down American culture. It's just yeah. you should have done it in an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am I, also I, American, I, and I have ADD, and I cannot build <laughs> a 90-minute-long film. I know what you're saying. Please. The Reverend, the Reverend and I embrace many American cultures. It's, it's home. This is where we live. 
But we also live to, t- we are also wild eyed anarchists that live to fucking tear down establishments that we do not like or care for. But there are certain things and elements, even of things that we don't agree with that we love. Um, bourbon, for instance, great example. I'm not going to get into the fucking, the, the why or how of that, but it's pretty easily traceable. You can fucking look it up and figure out what we're for and what we're against. But without getting political, what I'm on about is that, yes, tearing down comfortable institutions that are oppressive is always a good thing. I agree. Uh, that's that for with art in general, 100%. And when I touch on my first Australian film, which I'll talk about off uh, offline, if you will, or once we've stopped recording, um, yeah, I've got plenty of Australian icons and practices and customs to absolutely destroy myself because we have some... <laughs> Uh, excuse the language, fuck shit stuff going on down here as well, believe you me, certainly. Um, and some fantastic stuff, though, as well, yeah? Um, sure. Now, but what, uh, just to finish off uh, with that part, as I said at the very start, Lars von Trier is exhausting. Yeah, probably some people have found this episode exhausting. That is what Lars von Trier is all about. Exhaustion for the viewer. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't want to be nice to you in any means. Okay. Product placement. Absolutely no product placement. That is the antithesis of what he's about. Yeah, Mm -hmm. unless he is again... McDonald's may turn up one day, but there will be a clown burning in the background. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's definitely a 1964 Dodge A100. The thing's a okay. badass van, and that is the product that it is. Okay, which but, turned into a serial killer van. But somebody, somebody, yeah, exactly. He shit on what it, like, the, the whole of the image of it, he shit on it immediately. Yeah, like, yeah. But it's, sorry, please. It'd be like, yo, here's this Budweiser that I'm drinking. And then have the character drinking go, this is actually warm piss and I'll never drink this again and smash it against the wall. It's the same fucking effect. But it's a love-hate thing. Or he's an an obsessive as well. He's obsessed with doing this to America as well. There is a trilogy, uh, Dogma, Mandalay, Washington is coming next. That's his next film. It's not going to be nice towards Americans. Again, go back and watch Dogma to know what I mean. Uh, Washington's a fuckface. Let me throw this out there, side little plug. We just did, in uh, No One Likes Us, we just did, it'll come out, probably before this episode does, but we did an episode on John Brown. Uh, Terry yielded his time of the episode to me so that I could cover the entirety of it in one episode. And John Brown is my favorite American historically of all time. He's an abolitionist and you will fucking find out why. And just saying it fits with the fucking thing. Um, Okay. Cool. Not having it from the fucking institution. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm all about that as well. And please, American listeners, I know I'm the Australian here. I know I'm the foreigner as well. I love America. I always have. I have a minor, uh, I've got a Bachelor of Arts in Theatre and Film Studies, but I have, uh, that's my major, I have a minor in American Studies. I've always been fascinated 
slash repulsed uh, to be straighter by your country, but I would move there in a heartbeat because it shows the best and worst of humanity because it has absolutely everything. Is that a fair thing to say? I, oh, I yeah. feel the same way. I love it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, okay. the only thing I can think to say is that to my fellow Americans, uh, I'm also American too. So fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> we're allowed to say that. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. And also we're brazen and bold and we're assholes and I'm not fucking afraid of you. What do you think about that? <laughs> punk rock. I'm the goth, which is basically an arty punk is what it right. is. Yeah. Hey, look, man, <laughs> as soon as you can get to America, we'll fucking make sure we get you to the goth clubs with all the girls, with the fishnets, oh. the new order and shit. Buddy, buddy. Okay, anyway, not to be too distracted. Uh, Jobba Royale. Gentlemen, within the ring, tonight's main event, we have Lars von Trier's imaginary friend, SP the Hunter, versus the military man who knows what a full metal jacket ammunition bullet is. What do we reckon? Take it away. Oh, that's good. That's really, really, really good. Oh, I'm, I'll tell you what, off of instinct, I'm going with, oh, wait a minute. No, I'm going to go with SP. I think SP being old got taken in by loyalty. That is how he died. But I think there's no way somebody he doesn't know for like at least a decade takes him in like that. So your man with the fucking military record, that's a young dude. He's a hunter. This guy SP's a hunter. He knows how to hide. He knows how to wait. He, whatever war that motherfucker fought in that motherfucker fought in a war. We hid in the goddamn bushes. So your man that that dude's younger, by the way. So he fought in the goddamn desert. All right. Ah. All right. That guy fought in the fucking desert. He fought in a place where there's nothing to hide behind except for a dune of sand and maybe the occasional rock. Your man fucking SP can fight in the motherfucking forest and they're in Washington. Absolutely. SP just lays and waits. And that motherfucker eventually shows his face and pop, there goes his fucking noggin. It's over. SP hmm. all day. I feel fist like- fight. Fist fight. SP wins that too. He's got that old Richard, man strength. I don't think so. He's got I that old man so. strength too. It definitely all depends on the location. SP, if they're playing paintball, yeah, sure. Fucking old guy takes the fucking paintball league or whatever. But in a ring, in a ring, this fucking young kid that's fucking knows his ammo and already did fucking boot camp. If he got through boot camp, he's taking SP in the I'm he couldn't sorry. take fucking Jack's bitch ass, who's clearly a fucking rich kid that just read a lot of art books and has a gun. We don't know that. We don't know that because we're only introduced to him, like, in the contraption. We don't know when the the young kid gets fucking abducted or anything. So we don't really know any backstory. All we know is that he is a military guy and he went through basic training. And that being said, I'm saying that in a goddamn ring, and he ain't like 20-something, so he's done a like couple of years in boot camp or whatever. Well, you know, I was going to say, man. I was going to say, I was going to say that him being 
fresh out of boot camp literally makes him greener than the fucking uniform they would have put him in. However, you can see that that man, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but you can see he's wearing long sleeve shirt in that fucking van. But when they're, they have the close up of the fucking cuffs, he's got tattoos that reach down to his fucking arms like this, like mine. You yeah. can see it below the cup. So that would lead me to believe he's been in for a little while. You're not wrong about that, but we also don't know he's that fucking, that old dude. For all we know, he just completed basic training. Maybe he hasn't even gone on a tour yet. Maybe he has done one tour. Maybe that tour was only six months long. We don't know shit. If he's only done a six-month tour in Afghanistan against your man SP that did fucking six tours in Vietnam, which we also don't know, but he's clearly done some fucking wartime, and also he's been hunting for 40 goddamn years in the same woods of Washington, and you can't change the venue, right? We're, do, we're no. doing this in Washington in a wooded area. Yeah. This motherfucking yeah. SP takes him all deck. Dude, we don't know that fucking SP hasn't been fucking wiping his ass with a goddamn pine cone for the last 30 years and this young kid just fucking comes and kicks him in the butthole and he fucking bleeds to death out of his goddamn hemorrhoid we don't fine. Know wait a minute let me level the playing field bar fight who wins the fight I can't knuckle, that, yeah. knockdown Probably drag SP. out who wins the fight I'm going SP because he knows the people there and he's not going to be like afraid to jump over the bar and pull, pull the fucking shotgun on the young kid but I'm saying in a fucking legitimate wrestling ring or boxing ring, young kid's going to fucking take this fight, dude. Stop it. Stop it. I'm, I said to begin with, it's location, location, location. What do you think, Baron? Yeah, we need a tiebreaker here. We do need a tiebreaker. Uh, and I will place it within the world of the film. I mean, we haven't properly worked this out amongst ourselves, how we place, where we place these fights, but I'll, it's my habit so far to place it within the world of the film. And I'm just going to give it to SP because this, the military guy is good at recognizing bullets. SP is going to shoot him in the head even before he considers what bullet it is because it shows him with the quick draw. That's what I'm going to give. That's how I'm going to decide. You're going, you're, see, you're going with the same reason I am. It's experience. Yes, experience. Yeah. You're talking and, about 40 odd years of experience over six to six months to two years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I can concede. What do you want? What do you want me to do? I, I don't actually have a dog in this fight. We can't like bet on this anyway. So yeah. I'm not a manager in a, the actual wrestling biz. This isn't my work at losing here. Yeah, um, I didn't. Come book, on. I didn't book this fight. I didn't book this yeah. fight. Let's get Matt Dillon fight. and, and l- yeah, let right, me call yeah. him up and see see what he can do. <laughs> Um, Commander, we have um, SP for this uh, round. Who did we have uh, last time in uh, Carnival? Oh, it was, uh, uh, that was the Predator. That was the Predator. That was Robert uh, uh, John John Linden. Yes, 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 yes. If you've got those uh, down in the official logbook uh, for Job Job Royale, thank you, sir. Thank you. Okay. Oh, finishing it off with a rating here. Um, I'll start because I think I'm going to give it the highest rating. Uh, to align it to a malady, disease, whatever, I'm going to say a brain tumor in remission. Uh, 
Uh, you've gone through the pain. It's gone away, but it could come back one day. Lars von Trier and the tumor is waiting for you. Whether it's his film or not, you're going to recognize something else in some other film that's going to bring it back <laughs> into full-blown cancer because that's what he does throughout his whole career. And I will assign it a number of 8.5 out of 10. I like this film. He's one of my favorite directors. He encapsulates a lot of stuff um, that I like in art, that I like to do myself in art as well. And, um, yeah, Brain Tumor in remission, 8.5. Uh, Reverend. I'm going to say that this only hits mono. This is like mono for me. I, I feel like I had it, and it took a pretty long time to get over it. <laughs> One of my friends shared it with me, and I may share it with someone else, but I don't really want to have it again. So I'm going to say that this is mono, and uh, – Six out of ten, yeah. All right. I, um, as I've said, um, I spent days, actually a week, cursing this movie. And re-watched it, changed my mind slightly. And then got the breakdown from the, the Honorable Baron. Um, and changed my mind even further. However... I am going to go ahead and do straight up and down. This movie is COVID. This, this movie is insulting and brutalizing to my, specifically my country that I live in. My country will not let it go. My sensibilities as an American will not accept it. Um, but I get it. I understand why it is festering and and why it is why it won't go the fuck away. I get it. I don't want it. I will not watch it again. I will not deal with it again. But I absolutely respect it, understand it. I wear my fucking mask when I go out. I get it. I understand this particular disease. If you would have asked me one week ago, I would have said five okay I'm, gonna get, I'm giving this motherfucker a seven respect respect uh yeah that's heavy biz comparison cove brilliant <laughs> that is brilliant well, absolutely from, from a five to a seven it just got that much exponentially worse <laughs> <laughs> and last so one trio would be gritting sorry if, sorry. I, if I understand why I'm being insulted I will respect it. <laughs> and Lars von Trier would grin ear to ear at that comparison. He would grin ear <laughs> to ear at it. Absolutely. Um, gentlemen, I think the house that Jack built has been uh, built and torn down uh, tonight, today on uh, Man Bites Pod. Um, thank you for bearing with me. Thank you for watching the film. Absolutely. Um, we'll discuss offline uh, what we're going to do next, but I'm going to keep it a bit more, uh, say, genre-based, uh, not so elongated next time, definitely. And I'm going to go to Australia. So uh, keep listening. You'll find out. Uh, the Baron has put the sin back into cinema. Commander. Oh, the commander has commanded. I have decreed. <laughs> 
I am done with this movie. And I am, I am actually at this point glad I saw it, but uh, I am happy to move on. I'm excited to go to Australia. Um, can't wait for next week. And I will reveal my pick uh, soon as well. Reverend. Well, if I can just let you know all to live your lives to the fullest and uh, eat, drink and watch some awesome films because you're all going to hell. <laughs> mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.